Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as usual, it's a great pleasure to have your company. And for today's program, I've got a very interesting guest, Larry Cameron, uh, who is the Chief Information Security Officer at the Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative, and much more. Welcome, Larry. Thanks for having me. Okay, you're very welcome. Now, a lot of people won't know exactly what ATII, as it's shortened to, um, specifically does, or even some of the sub-organizations sub, um, that you work with as well. Could you just give us a little bit of an explanation? Yeah, so ATII was founded to promote corporate social responsibility in financial institutions. So we provide them with data sets or red flags or could be training, and we help them implement anti-human trafficking programs into their compliance uh, departments. Okay, so you... Uh, We also, yeah, we also have a task force which does uh, supports law enforcement and trains law enforcement in order to assist with the investigations uh, into human trafficking and child exploitation. Okay. I've talked to somebody about 18 months ago in your organization as well, so I managed to get a little bit of a sense of what you do, but I've got written down here one sentence that I think probably sums it up, if that's all right. If you tell me if you agree that the, the Anti-Human Trafficking Intelligence Initiative is a non-profit organization dedicated to the worldwide fight to abolish modern slavery related to labor and sex trafficking. That, that was is, is that still the best explanation, do you think? Yep, could be labor trafficking, sex trafficking, organ trafficking, debt bondage, or anything that involves force, fraud, or coercion, or mm. the exploitation of children, because uh, children can't legally consent. Mm. Yeah, such a huge subject, isn't it? I mean... Um, yeah, it's very at, broad. At one point, I remember many, many years ago, um, law enforcement people telling me that it's, they're sort of keeping up with things, but only just in terms of the um, ability of criminals to evade the law or, or to get round regulations or to practice, you know, within the kind of um, the world, as it were, of organized crime. How would you judge it at the moment? Would you think things are getting better? Are we getting better at interrupting stuff? I think the awareness is getting out there where it needs to be. Uh, you know, five years ago, nobody really knows what human trafficking is. They don't think that it's in their community. Mm. But I can assure you that it's in every country, every state, province, or in every city, even in rural areas. Yeah. So you may not know it. It could be on your street. But it's very common. There's about 50 million people trapped in slavery on Earth. Yeah, I mean, these these figures are just astounding, aren't they? They're just mind-boggling. Um, and, and you know, we in the UK, where I'm based, you know, we, we've come across uh, organisations that, that are trafficking humans as well, whether it's for labour or for domestic service or for sex, you know, and, and children do figure. And I'll have done quite a bit recently with people in the Ukraine, which, of course, is been almost like a, a huge Christmas present for, for organized crime in terms of the disruption to people. Um, have you managed to sort of pick up any um, 
support networks that are, are, are trying to deal with the whole refugee system? Yeah, so I've done a uh, little work on refugees are displaced, uh, but the ones in Ukraine, they were being trafficked at the border. So a lot of my partners, uh, they went on sites and uh, they were teaching law enforcement how to uh, detect when people are trafficking them because they were going to the border and uh, people were offering them rides. So these people were actually going to take these victims and put them into trafficking. Uh, It could be labor trafficking, sex trafficking, or both. Uh, You know, offer them a ride, a place to stay, food, and then there's debt bondage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The usual usual sort of incentives that... uh, start something off um mm-hmm. okay now you 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 also told me that you literally bounced around the world it sounded a bit like to be yeah. honest with you in terms of um spreading the message and tra- doing training i mean last year i think you gave me an astounding figure about the number of places that you visited is it was it 48 or something like that yeah, it was 48 events that I spoke at. Those could be conferences or webinars or podcasts. I did mm. a few podcasts, but, uh, you know, mainly it's uh, or remote training sessions. Uh, this year, I think I'll break about 60. For <laughs> the month per week. <laughs> and if I got it right from you as well, I mean, you're a very compact team aren't you in terms of numbers at least i know you get a huge amount of support from agencies all around the world but in terms of atii it's about five of you is that right yeah five full-time part-time and then we have a little over 300 volunteers right Uh, we also i think in the past three years we had a little over 100 interns as well okay so it's substantial right i got you and also, well, I think congratulations are on you, aren't you? Haven't you just been made an advisor to the UN? Yes, special advisor to the United Nations in the Cyber Rights Organization. Yeah, and uh, I'm uh, head of cybersecurity. That's fairly new. Okay, well, so that's something you're developing, really. Uh, yeah, it's being developed. Uh, so everybody has digital rights. Mm. So. You know, there's a lot of once you connect to the Internet, you're a target. So we need to change that, especially for children. Well, of course. Can you give me a sense of um, that there's going to be some new legislation in the UK soon, I think, in terms of um, whether it's cybersecurity or, you know, certainly online security and, and to do with social media and so forth. Is the world waking up, do you think, to what's needed I, I think partially it's it's always split in between this is needed in order to protect children and this is needed for privacy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if end-to-end encryption comes into effect where if law enforcement can't submit a subpoena warrant or production order in order to get details from an account, mm-hmm. then, you know, 90% of people that are exploited on Facebook are not going to get any justice. And I know this, I supported, uh, we did an operation in a certain country, but the orphanage I was supporting had about 600 traffic kids go through it. 
and you know doing some interviews and stuff we determined that about 90 percent of them were exploited over facebook incredible you know i had an eight-year-old girl trying to help me find the account that she was exploited over i mean that's not something a kid should have to do let alone me no absolutely and we do hear from you know from time to time there's a there's an eruption of anger against social media companies and they say you're not doing enough you're not doing enough and they say oh yeah well all right well we are or we'll change it or whatever but it never seems to really change that much i mean what what would your impression be of these big companies the social media companies are they are they really trying or is it just something that's got out of hand uh, it's got out of hand totally. I mean, they're not able to keep up with the vast amount of exploitation. I mean, even I tried to work with some of them and they're like, no, we're only looking for terrorism type stuff. And I'm like, well, we're human trafficking and child protection. We're not caring yeah. terrorism. So, you know, so because they get in you trouble get very more pissed for... off about that, Larry. I mean, don't you get very upset about that, that they're not, don't, don't seem to be able to try and rein their own platforms in well that's why we spread awareness i mean you can get angry or you can take action Mm. i mean we've uh you know we did some stuff regarding only fans and Pornhub, and you Mm. know look what happens uh mastercard uh you know ducked out and then visa finally ducked out but it was a little too late uh, because Visa is now being held accountable for, you know, supporting a company that does exploitation of children. Yeah. Do you think it's only maybe a pebble in the water, really, rather than trying to dam the stream? Well, you can definitely definitely do some damage to a company by taking away the resources. I mean, look what we did yeah. to Russia with the sanctions. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, they're, they're going down and they're going down fast. And the longer that they're in the state, it's going to get worse. Russian people are leaving Russia. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, so, I mean, if you're, companies if you're taking away their payment methods you know you take away visa mastercard paypal and then you start taking away other stuff like cryptocurrency uh you're sanctioning them people won't work with those companies then you're you're essentially hitting them where it hurts well let's let's stick on that for a second because i know you wanted to mention atcc and atrc which if you wouldn't mind just telling people what they are um in terms of your involvement yeah so i'm a co-founder of the atcc which is the anti-human trafficking cryptocurrency consortium okay so it's similar to atii where we promote the corporate social responsibility but this one's focused on uh, cryptocurrency so could be blockchain companies cryptocurrency exchanges bitcoin atms or blockchain forensics and analytics apps so we had, uh, you know, we were working with quite a few of these blockchain forensics apps. They were providing us with data and tools and training and certifications. But we kept on getting all these silos of data. So these silos of data are great. We can investigate them, but we can't share the data. So we started doing our own data collection. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we're collecting a lot of data relating to child exploitation, and we were sharing it with all of those companies. So there's about 12 or 13 that we work with. So doing the math, we're essentially screening up to 300 million users against our data. Otherwise, just a few then. Yeah, other other companies are keeping it in silos because mm-hmm. that's how they make their money. It's how they you know profit. Uh, it's their livelihood. But yeah. we, you know, we do it the opposite way. We share it with everyone so we can, uh, again, screen these 300 million users against our data. Right. Well, and an ATRC? That's the retail consortium. So it's more of your Walmarts, Targets, or Victoria's Secrets. We actually have a Tech for Good event happening uh, this week. where we'll be taking our data sets similar to the data that we give to banks to scrub their user base against, but we'll be scrubbing it against other companies. So these companies will take our data in, they'll compare it to their customer base, like uh, they might have uh, online shopping. So you create an account, you put your email and phone number in. So they would be matching up against that data. And the only thing we're looking for really is matches. So once we get a match, again, it it's, gives you a little more context within that investigation. So it could be a trafficker. It could be someone being trafficked or it just could be an independent sex worker. It's up but it's to red, the but it's investigators. A red flag, yeah? But it's a red yeah. flag. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's up to them to differentiate mm-hmm. because, you know, if you have an uh, a sex ad with this four foot nine woman, um, you know, 90 pounds, but somebody, there's this male six foot one, 280 pounds that comes up. There's obviously something wrong there that (laughs) likely indicates that he's a trafficker and he's trafficking these women. You can also sometimes see 30 women tied to the same phone number. So these ones are, giant red flags which again we used in you know other operations we did like uh, the visa waiver program I was telling oh, you about. yeah would you want to mention that a bit because i think that was fascinating if you just say a little bit about what that was and, and what the outcome was yeah so we provided the data the same as we do to banks or the the blockchain companies or what have you and they took this data in and they scrubbed it against their internal systems Uh, So what this did is, you know, showed which ones were flying everywhere. So the visa waiver program, there was about 39 countries at the time. And we had data on 38. So we did the proof of concept. Can I just sort of clarify that this was to fast track visas, is that right? Yes. So visa waiver program is so you don't have to go through a whole bunch of paperwork and stuff in order to get a visa kind of fast track. So if I want to go from Canada to the United States, I don't have to do a visa. I get it one on arrival. Okay. So since they're fast tracking, then they have to do uh, more enhanced due diligence. They have to, uh, you know, look into these people more. Yeah. So we happened. Yeah. Yeah, we were able to find about 170 persons of interest, potential traffickers, and people being trafficked through that data. Mm. 
that was just 38 countries. So I think it was a pretty successful operation. We do these in bulk quite a bit. Um, another one was, uh, you know, in the ATCC where we had... Uh, we That's the cryptocurrency provided... one. Yeah, right. Sorry. Yes. Well, we were provided data in bulk uh, that related to child exploitation, people purchasing child sexual abuse material or CSAM. So we took this data and we run it through another database. And what we were able to determine from that is that uh, they had KYC or not. So KYC is know your client, which is essentially passport, driver's license, or address, phone number, email, IP address, Mm -hmm. list of all your assets and transactions. So this was great. We had 300 transactions, which had KYC data. So the data that we were scrubbing against, it was people, they were buying Bitcoin at a Bitcoin ATM. Then they filled out their KYC data and then they sent directly to a child abuse cluster. So in comparing that data, we were able to see people who were directly buying this material who had KYC data. So right there, there's 300 open and shut cases, you know, just takes an hour. No, so I, I, mean, I, I, I get it, but you've got to be, you've got to know what you're doing, of course, haven't you? You've got to have the people that know what they're doing as well. Yeah, these, uh, they're pretty, pretty experienced. I mean, this is uh, the person that manages all of the, I can't really say the companies, but they have a lot of financial data from MSBs and Bitcoin ATMs. So you're actually able to overlap the data from the Bitcoin and also the like Western Union or MoneyGram, for instance. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just taking these last couple of examples that you're mentioning, yeah, that's, I mean, to my mind, okay, you've had success or, you know, or, or, or the, the people that you've influenced have had success. I mean, but do you get a sense of the size? I mean, you saw 50 million, you mentioned worldwide, yeah. you know, traffic. I mean, Whenever can that be fully dealt with? It can never be dealt with fully, can it? it so no, you just, you've got it. What, what, what do you consider a success? The things you've said, the the uh, investigations that culminated in what you told me, or is there more that really needs to be done? That's what I'd like to know you to hear you say. Oh, definitely. There's tons more that needs to be done. This is not going to be eradicated in my lifetime. I can tell you that now. Might mm-hmm. not ever be eradicated. But we can put a dent in it and we can make it more and more expensive for people to traffic uh, others. So, for instance, being able to find them, doing civil lawsuits against them, putting them in jail for longer. You know, you know, soon nobody's going to want to traffic because there's such harsh penalties. What about the side of things then? Uh, I mean, it's just sorry to talking over you, but there's just so much I'd like to ask you. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I talked with a guy, uh, the head of um, Slave Free Trade. It was based in sort of Sweden and then Brussels and whatnot. But he used to be a, a federal agent in Australia looking into um, the Pacific Rim, you know, and the slavery there and the children. And so much of the products that the West um takes whether it's yeah. food or clothing or whatever we all know uh, a lot of it is dealt is actually produced by very young children in terrible slavish conditions yeah 
do you come up against that much yourself because or, or is that not the, on enough you're more mainly on the kind of finance investigative side no we do pretty much every type of investigations uh us doing border stuff but uh the labor trafficking is big too so it's big in farming yeah uh so and in thailand for instance uh fishing is really bad I think we checked some surveys and about 96% of them didn't have contracts yet around 50% of them seen somebody else murdered or thrown overboard. That's a story I've heard before too, especially in my case, it was just with regards to prawn fishing. Oh yeah. Prawn fishing was, is horrible. There's about, I think there was, I think it's prawns, but there was about 600 people that 600,000 people that come from other countries. Mm. So they have to get into the country and then they're, you know, they don't really have a say. Uh, If they speak up about the treatment, they're thrown overboard. Yeah. So there's a lot, they're not paid well, their wages change, you know, they're paid less than what they're owed. Uh, You know, there's different stuff like streaming in Philippines or I found different stuff like uh, like in the United Arab Emirates, I've seen a lot of maids and stuff like that, or even people in malls that didn't have their passports. This is like a major red flag. If you don't have your passport and it's taken from you, that's yeah. illegal. They can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Always yeah. keep your passport because, you know, that it can prevent you from leaving. You could be confined. You never know what's going to happen if they take your passport. Well, I mean, and there's so much domestic slavery does go on where that exact bit of behavior takes place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've got about another six or seven minutes, Larry. So, I mean, I, I, I just want to tell people listening that, first of all, I'm going to put everything about contacts with yourselves and things that you've said on the front page of this podcast. So, you know, there'll be a way of them kind of carrying on following you. Um, But at the same time, I was just wondering about um, that conference you mentioned. Is that an an open conference that people could um, digitally look at, join in? Yeah, there's there's quite a few conferences. Uh, You might be talking about our Tech for Good events. You just mentioned it a minute or two ago there. Yeah, yeah. Tech for Good events. That's mainly for ATRC. Okay. That we'll be, you know, we'll be doing quite uh, private stuff with data and internal systems. So right. a lot okay. of the time we don't even get to see the finished results. That way they can <laughs> okay. still comply to their regulations and everything. But there are plenty of events that I speak at. If you follow me on LinkedIn, Okay, well, uh, we'll, we'll do that, yeah, as, yeah, as well, you, as, well can, as anything else, yeah. Oh, yeah, you can see all the stuff I post about new events, and I'll usually include the sign-up link. Please do, please do. I mean, this is as much, I want people to have an opportunity to get as informed and educated as possible. I mean, and I know you're doing brilliant work, but I know also that you're also a relatively small kind of having small impact because you haven't got a worldwide um, tens of thousands of people actually sort of working for you. But at the same time, I think it's remarkable what you're doing 
What what is the United Nations um, kind of uh, uh, special advisor role mean for you? Uh, so, as head of cybersecurity for the Cyber Rights Organization, we'll be looking at ways to ensure that uh, you know people can have a digital life and not be worried about their content. They have a right over their content. So right now. I mean, once you connect to the internet, everybody's a target. So not only with scams or fraud or, you know, but hackers, I mean, it's not really an ideal situation. I mean, internet used to be innovative. Now it's just, you know, scary. People are getting their identities stolen. Uh, People are getting their bank accounts cleared out or, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, predators finding the kids. I mean, it's it is scary. It's not really working the way it is. It just got totally out of hand. Well, let, let's take a couple of minutes to finish with. Then maybe if I could ask you to possibly give two messages: one to the guy at the end of the road, and two to senior people in the agencies that have most uh, responsibility for. For, for dealing with the problem that you've outlined. So mm-hmm. firstly then, advice to the guy at the end of the road. At the end of the road? Well, well you know, the local man, you know, who, who's not like a, involved, he's a, just a parent and a neighbor and a part of the community. What, what should okay. you be looking out for, worried about? Before, uh, then, be, yeah. Be careful when you go online. I mean especially if strangers are contacting you, don't share too much online. I mean, for instance, uh, when kids are going back to school, they always have pictures of their kids and they're talking about what school they're going to and the pictures in front of their house. You can see the number. Yeah. I mean, be, be mindful uh, of what you post online, especially if it's about your children, don't put it public. I mean, a lot of people like to share this and like, oh, my kid's so wonderful. They want a gold medal. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Share that privately to your friends. Uh, you know, what I can recommend is don't even post it online most of the time no. uh, because they can use that. Any piece of information, uh, I mean, we even look at plugs uh, to figure out what geographic area some people are in so we can narrow it down. We look at products that they have in their house so that, again, we can narrow stuff down. Every little piece of information that you put up there can be used against you. Good advice. So Again, I'm not saying don't have Facebook. Again, it would be a lot safer if you didn't. But, you know, sometimes even your friends will get hacked and they'll message you and say hey can you help me out yeah you know i had about 10 10 of those last week really yeah yeah okay okay i mean it is it is nightmarish i mean and i and in a sense it sometimes makes people overprotective with children i I do remember when i was practicing myself that you know all all this business about you know don't put pictures of your two-year-old in the back garden you know dancing around in the summer with no clothes on well or or in the bath well the answer yeah, is exactly. don't don't do that, but unless it's absolutely one, of, it's, it's a private thing for your family, and and the question is privacy, as you said. So many people don't make their work, don't make their Facebook or anything private, do they? 
No, there's a lot of just post everything publicly. Yeah. Okay, look, for a last couple of minutes then, Larry, um, senior people in social services, law enforcement, retail, frontline, um, you know, wherever, you know, that might be listening to this or be, a, be, be drawn to it, you know, if they don't know about ATII and all the other work that you're doing, obviously you'd say, do so, get to know us. But what other message would you like to give? Uh, everyone can help make a difference and spread awareness. I mean, I mean, if communities work together, they could kind of have community watches for this. Uh, you you kind of need them. You need communities joining together in order to protect one another. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to get overridden with gangs or organized criminal groups or, you know, traffickers are going to be in your area. Um You know, if you have a good system set up in your community, you can protect your kids from this. I mean, a lot of it, uh, we were looking at community empowerment. And if you had a universal uh, income, so even a low one, I've seen some models used in Cambodia, it was $10 a day. But after three years, they were not accepting those funds anymore. And they were training the teachers to teach advanced robotics concepts and all that. And, you know, it was actually working just $10 a day and people weren't hungry. uh, They weren't in poverty. They could eat. They could go to school. They weren't selling their kids. I mean, it was, it was just remarkable. Uh, If you look at the sustainable development goals uh, in the UN, if just a few of these were taken care of, we would have such a better world, less crime, significantly less crime, like especially thefts and stuff. Murders would be less drugs. Mm. Um, people wouldn't need it. They would have a, a life, you know. It's so logical. It's just so logical. But just people don't yes. seem to be able to take that the step sometimes. I mean, not, not enough anyway. Larry... Listen, I mean, I could go on talking to you for ages because, I mean, I find what you do fascinating. Um, But we've got to stop. And maybe I could uh, invite you back in the not too far ahead, far future, if you to give us an update, if you would. Sounds good. I'd love to. All right. And like I said, we'll stop it now and sort of say thanks very much, Larry Cameron, and um, look forward to... uh, speaking to you in the future and thanks everybody else for listening and see you again on the social world podcast all right 